Welcome to The Sausage Factory, sponsored by Rocky, the content feedback platform. So this is our regular look at the world of content marketing. We're going to be celebrating the good and shining a light on the what could be better with the single aim of encouraging the world to make better content. We try and do it in 30 minute sausages for you every single month. So first of all, some introductions. I'm Matt Laybourne. I'm the founder of Rocky. And I'm Mark Willis, copywriter, self-proclaimed sausage expert. Excellent. Well, this is a very exciting pod. This is our season one finale. Uh, thank you, everyone who's been listening so far. So we thought, what is the best way we could possibly do it? Let's have a real roundtable discussion. Let's get ourselves in a recording studio and let's make sure it's situated within a pub as well. So those who are watching the video version, this we've all got little painties. And Mark's got a cola, so that's really nicely doing, very sensible. So it, still, it feels slightly hipster, but that wasn't the intention. But this is a special pod. As we're doing a special pod, we're going to be doing a sneak preview of some new research, which we couldn't wait to hear about. So we thought, let's get a pint and talk it all out. Joining us today in the factory is Stuart Harrison, VP Strategy of EMEA for MOI Global. So I'm going to give you a little intro to Stu. Um, he spent the last decade rising through the ranks in marketing strategy and content, starting life agency side as a strategist at the Fantastic Direction Group in Reading. Before going on to several head of marketing roles, brand side, he's also had his own brand B2B consultancy called Burning Need, and now his current position as VP at MOI Global. He did all of this whilst also dipping his toes into the world of e-commerce with a herbal tea business. So Stu, where do we begin, ma'am? That's a CV to unpack and everything. Welcome to the Sausage Factory. Thanks very much, Matt. And Mark. Um, that all sounds makes me sound much grander than I am as well, which I really appreciate. Um, I also didn't realise this was a monthly episode, um, so thank you very much for giving me an entire month's worth of credit. I feel suddenly a lot more pressure to deliver. So, before we get into Stu's research, we've got some very important research of our own to conduct. It is, of course, the Sausage Quiz. There was talk of a special edition Sausage Quiz with a blind taste of sausages but it was deemed potentially inappropriate by our sponsors. Um, and quite frankly, we don't want to corrupt our data with a needless variation. So it's Sausage Quiz Classic Edition. Three questions that will give us a deep psychological insight. Stu, what's your favourite sausage? I have my own question before you do that. What sausages were you planning to do in this blind tasting that made it inappropriate yeah, I'm, I'm for sponsors? i quite curious by that. Wow. It was the idea that sparks inappropriate ideas, ma mainly from my colleague across the desk. Oh, oh. Fine. Okay, fine. Oh, no, fair enough. I don't want to. Yeah, I remember now. <laughs> but if we'd known, then the blind pacing would have incorporated a Buddha. I asked you not to bring that type of sausage up. So a Buddha <laughs> noir, I believe is what it's called. I might have blocked out what is actually called in my memory, but it has a similarly French sounding name. Whatever it is, it's a type of sort of blood sausage, but it is, um, it's vile. It's the worst type of sausage I've ever tasted. And I, I actually ate that in front of people that were colleagues at the time who were all French and saw it as a bit of a national treasure. Oh, no. It did not go down well, quite literally. <laughs> um, I don't understand how a sausage could be bad. 
I, I think some things that people put inside the sausage. I don't know what they were, but they tasted like very unpleasant things that I won't describe on what could one day be national radio for all I yeah. know. Um, favorite type of sausage, though, would, and I thought long and hard about this okay. because I, I think I mentioned it to you guys in, in my notes, sausages was genuinely my first spoken word as a child. Thanks. So this this appearance for me is 31 years in the making, and it means this a is, lot more to me than it probably should. This is groundbreaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the way you select guests going forward. <laughs> how far up their vocabulary priority list was yeah. sausages. If it's not in the top 20, you simply cannot be a guest. Why, why bother? Yeah. Exactly. You know, Mum, really dad, needed. dog, sausage. Exactly. In that order. <laughs> no, for me, sausage came before pain. It's apparently... Um, to answer your question, black pudding. I'm counting it as a type of sausage. Okay. Yeah. We haven't had a black pudding before. Good. That's what I was hoping. It's delicious. And I prefer eating it the way my grandma eats it, which is raw right. with a bit of vinegar. You get a lot more flavor out of it. The trick is, though, you have to buy a high quality black pudding. Otherwise, you've got no idea what you're eating raw. Yes. I'm sorry, what sort of dinner is this? Is it just a black pudding on a plate with some vinegar or is it part of a breakfast? Yeah, it typically appears at like a Boxing Day buffet. It's uh, it's very much an individual item. So I am learning so much today about sausages. So does that make it into your favourite sausage, sausage-based dish? Certainly not in this scenario because that would be a very dull response. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think for a sausage-based dish, it's a classic toad in the hole. But you're going to have a really well-risen Yorkshire pudding base, and it has to be done in a very large tray so that it resembles a little sausage castle. Toad in the hole might be a way in favour of sausage base. How many times has that come up now? Have we got a tally? I mean, obviously, there's a great piece of content coming back in the sausage with all this data consolidated. Yeah, the sausage preferences of leading marketers ebook. I'd give away my national, <laughs> national insurance number to read that. Here are my passwords. Yeah. <laughs> so the most controversial question, as it turns out, preferred meat slash meat percentage. Well, a sausage, in my mind, is a vessel designed to deliver meat to the human body. So as high as possible would be the meat percentage unless you found a particularly tasty flavoring to mix in there i mean i've I've had veggie sausages some of them are fine i just classify them as a different type of meal mm-hmm. that's how i get around it in my own mind that that is the response i was expecting to get more often in squiz but lots of people have gone gone cheap low meat percentage with sausages as their favorite Yes, uh, yep, I believe so. We've yeah, got a couple. Yeah, apparently there's not as much research that goes into it um, as um, some people. Linda McCartney's got a lot to She, she has. And, and the palatey sausage, quite frankly. Oh, but this, I'm sorry, I'm taking up far too much time in your podcast. <laughs> <about sausages. laughs> but we, we moved into a house five or six years ago and uh, my partner's father was checking the radiators for us, took the top off, and then he... Um, the, the radio's top noise. <laughs> this is a real deviation yeah. from where we're supposed to go. And um, said to my partner, you know, wife now, put out your hand. So she did. 
And then he just drops this these small brown objects into her hand, and she I've I've never seen someone float four foot across an entire room <laughs> screaming like quite that loud. She thought that he'd put a couple of dead mice oh, in her God. hand, uh, and they were actually cocktail sausages. Yeah, that had potentially been in that radiator for a good two years. Mm. I think uh, there was a there was a small child that had lived there previously and had stuffed them into the gaps. I love that. But what had happened is they'd been in there for like I say, well over a year, and they looked identical to when you would buy them off the shelf. The only difference was they had no weight to them, so I, I now can't eat cocktail sausages. And and your partner suffers from sausage trauma. It's <laughs> correct, isn't it? I'm not wrong. Yes, that's, I suppose you could say that <laughs> if, you, if you really had to. So the Vital Sausage Chat is over. Now we have to all be to be marketing content. Let's do it. So the reason, um, the reason we're all gathered today is to go through some new uh, research that Stu and MRI Global have put together. Um, Stu, what's this report all about? Tell us all about it. Give us a bit of an intro, the, the listeners an intro. Let's, let's get into it. Can do. All right. So about 18 months ago, uh, myself and my team set up something called the Intel Practice for MRI Global, which is essentially helping B2B marketers better use data and insights in their, their campaigns, their approach, their, their research of buyers, whatever it might be. We've done that in a very fly by the seat of your pants way, but listening to what people want the entire time, we've built eight or nine different solutions out of it. And we wanted to use this as a bit of a, a sense check moment for ourselves to say, where are marketers actually struggling with data so that we can figure out how to be the most helpful in helping them be more creative with data and insights. Because let's face it, most marketers nowadays have got an absolute stack when it mm. comes to MarTech. And a lot of it is sort of sat in the background. It's not necessarily getting used in a great way. So we spoke to, as I spoke, we did a survey mm -hmm. of 275 B2B marketers across North America, the UK, and the Middle East. And we wanted to figure out exactly where and how they were using data in their marketing. So we looked at four or five main areas. One was account-based marketing programs because they are all the rage. Yep. We participate. Industry and buyer targeting in sales and marketing collaboration, which is an interesting one. And then a sort of an umbrella customer centricity space where we looked at value propositions, messaging and content planning, which is what I thought maybe you guys would be interested in talking about. Yes, like 100%. But so much of the data is always so siloed across different teams as well. Like one team has social listening, one team has an insights tool of some sort, another team bought a subscription to X, another team led by SEO only. So that's always kind of a fascinating kind of mix to how that all bring comes together. I've jumped onto your question, haven't I, Bart? You're looking at me all angrily. But... <laughs> that's just my resting pod face. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges that you've found this research? I'm really glad that you asked that, Mark, because that's what I was expecting. I would have been very thrown off if Matt had done it all of a sudden. One of the big things, as you guys might expect, was that I mentioned those stacks of systems. We looked specifically at our marketers using those systems to spot opportunities for growth. And what I mean by that is essentially ways to be proactive marketers that are saying, hey, that account over there, they might be interested in in doing some business with us or having a chat with us. Are we using in, are we using those systems to figure that out? Um, 
in pretty much every single tool we asked about, and we asked about everything from email tools and CRMs right through to intent data platforms, social listening platforms, mm. count intelligence, but like about 15 different tools. In pretty much every tool, at least 85% of marketers had them, which is a lot of tools. I mean, we spoke to, so these, these businesses that we spoke to had at least $100 million in revenue, right? So they're not small companies. You're not going to get a startup on the street that's got all these tools. And then that went right up to your kind of 50 billion plus mega companies. Mm. But 85%, at least in most cases, of B2B marketers had these tools. But in a lot of cases, the majority of them had them but didn't use them to spot growth opportunities. So the really surprising one there was, I um, referenced something from far later in the chat, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> something like 68% of marketers admitted to having intent data tools. So the thing you use for account-based marketing, see which account is in market, and not using it for spotting growth opportunities. So if you think about that for a second, that's an intent data tool that you're not using to check for raised intent. Yeah, what? Well, well, yeah, what are they using it for? What are they doing know, with it? Maybe really smart content planning, to be fair. Maybe they're looking at it from a topics perspective. Or maybe I poorly worded the question. Who knows? <laughs> the validity of the research is not beyond reproach. Yeah. That's mad. That's mad. So, so when you're going through all of these data as well, um, I mean, that's quite a surprising point in itself. But is there anything else that really like jumped out at you? Like, oh my God, I just didn't think marketers would be doing that or I didn't expect it or were there equally were there things there where you were like, I thought they would be doing that. I knew they'd be doing that. And yeah, I don't know what, what kind of surprises came out of it for you. Do you know what? I shouldn't be surprised anymore, but I still always am <laughs> I have a very patriotic sense of self. And, um, the UK actually came out as the least customer centric pretty much across the board. Um, when you compare us to North America, to marketers in the Middle East, um, that's through content planning, mm. value proposition development, messaging creation, uh, pretty much anything we asked about, we were the least customer centric. That's not to say we're doing it bad. Mm. It's to say that we are not either using the most customer centric tools. And what I mean by that is I laid out or we laid out all the different methods of feeding into your content planning, for example, mm. right from data about your product, product brochure information, inform uh, like input from your executive board, all on the kind of company influence side of the spectrum, right through to in the middle, you've got things like keyword tools and social listening. And then on your far end of that spectrum, you've got focus groups, surveys, customer mm. interviews. So all that means is we are a little bit closer to what, and everyone's fairly close to the middle. No one was great at being like, oh, we only ever do customer interviews. It's our single source of information about the customer. But we were the, the furthest towards the kind of lower end of that spectrum, which I found quite surprising. Is it, was there any insight in the data as to why? I, I always love it when you see these reports and you've got these big geographical differences and you think, oh, what's the level of adoption from country X to country Y? Is there any insight that you had in that report that would kind of go, I... I can see why that country or that, that region is behind another or, or not. What I will say is the, the Middle Eastern marketers were 
seemingly more enthusiastic about quite a few different areas of the report. So either mm. they're very active or trigger happy in the survey, who knows? But <laughs> um, they had a better tendency for the face-to-face customer interactions. And I think that probably rings true based on, ha- on having worked with people in the Middle East before in a marketing sphere. You know, they are much more happy to jump in front of a customer and have a chat. We're almost a little bit scared of it over here sometimes. That's interesting. And yeah. I think they're happy to jump in a room, ask their customer, ask their client. They've already got those great personal relationships. So that's where I think some of that has come from. Whereas I think here we are a bit hesitant. We, I know it's very easy in the UK to just sort of grab whatever data you've got in front of you and use that as a it'll do kind of basis. And I'll use my yeah. gut feel for the rest of it. So I wonder if there's some of that going on when actually we should probably take a bit more time to go speak to people. What you've described there is that there reminds me of some campaigns that you worked, well, I've worked on in the past. You've probably worked on in the past and you're like, we're just going off of like random data points here. Like it might be a good one. It might be a really good social listening one, but like it's so obvious to actually just talk to the customer and be like, well, what's the problem? What's the challenge that you have? How, how can we solve it? Like. And even with sales as well, I was having this conversation with someone yesterday, like getting feedback from sales teams who are at the, the cutting edge of closing a deal or not, which is kind of what we're in it for. What are the challenges that they're hearing and what are they not hearing? That's really interesting that that was a kind of a missing factor from the UK. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like, most of our clients are absolutely chuffed to go into customers. It's just almost like we have to remind ourselves here that that's an option mm. because the default is to maybe quote the buyer insights that all of us are quoting. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you take the time to bring it up in a, in a scope of work with the client, I find that everyone's very receptive to, to getting the customers in to speak to them if we can do it in a, in a timely fashion. Okay. So we're kind of straying into opportunities, territory, places where B2B marketers can improve. Um, so in terms of like the opportunities that you've seen in the research for B2B marketers to use data to improve their content one of the kind of biggest juiciest ones uh there are there's a few really i mean one of them i didn't really touch on this before we looked at content customization as a a concept right so if you are let's say we're really time strapped marketer you're going to have a single value proposition single set of messages you're going to put out a single set of content that might be the case if you're, you know, a fairly small, very focused SaaS business that has one main audience. But a lot of the, the reality is with a lot of big enterprises, they will speak to several industries, several markets, several types of buyer. What was surprising in the research was that marketers in many cases, and again, UK was most guilty of this, we were very willing to customize content for individual industries, individual markets. And I've we asked about lots of different types of things they might customize, and then we plot them out for the report in mm. terms of your typical buying journey, awareness, consideration, solution. And we looked at, on average, what percentage of the marketers are customizing those, those parts of the buyer journey. We added a preparation stage before that buyer journey where we included the value proposition and the messaging. I see where I'm going with this. <laughs> and more marketers were customizing awareness and consideration content and solution content, again, especially in the UK, compared to the value proposition and the messaging, which is a bit of a head scratcher for me. Yeah. Because it begs the question, what are you putting in the content? Which is a, was 
quite interesting. I think that's an opportunity to to do more because it's, it's a fine balance. The way we visualized it in this report is if you know if that's the start of your journey, you're pushing uphill the rest of the time because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to do meaningful customization. Similarly, there was one region or one size of business, sorry, that they were all personalizing the the value propositions of the messaging, but far fewer were actually rolling it out into customization. You don't want that either because that means that is sat in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. It's not going to yeah. apply to your content. So ideally, you want to be rolling flat, right, across all those different things. Um, that's definitely one opportunity is if you are going to customize content, just take that little bit of extra time to do the value proposition of the messaging. Sounds simple, but it's one of those time pressure things probably a lot of the time. Um, podcasts, by the way, by far and away the worst offender there. Something like 40% of marketers were creating podcasts or even podcast series for individual industries and markets. There's lots of guilty looks around the table. Yeah, and only about 28% of them were doing the value proposition and the message from first. So, which begs the question. We did do that, to be fair. What what is the key message of this podcast, I wonder? Keep listening and buy things. Oh, perfect. That's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's really basic, uh, but it works. (laughs) Other opportunities. You guys probably talk about content feedback loops and SEO platforms quite a lot, so I'll mm. avoid that. But um, two other things popped to mind. One was internal, one was external. And I'm deliberately steering clear of really resource-intensive customer interactions, by the way. Like, telling you to go and do customer interviews is not that insightful because if you didn't have time before, me telling you is not going to help yeah. you. But it did get me thinking when you asked that question. And actually, sales meetings with prospects often happen on like Zoom and Teams nowadays. Mm-hmm. So you get transcripts. And emails back and forth, obviously very recordable. If you could pass, it's not that difficult to do with tools nowadays, pass all of the questions from the customer, or the prospect, sorry, that come out of those interactions from all your sales force, group them into themes. Those are probably the gaps in your self-service content journey. So that'd be an interesting thing to explore, I thought, maybe. External view. Social listening, in my view, is one of the most underrated things in a marketer's arsenal. But it has to be one of the good ones. Like, <laughs> sadly, it's not the cheap tools. But there are a couple of really good tools out there. They go really deep on the analytics. And um, what we ended up doing for a client was creating a bit of a... This is very much me playing around with data because I wasn't very good at it before. <laughs> was um, creating an index. Because if you are in a market where you're against Microsoft, for example and you are, let's say, a company with, I don't know, $50 million in revenue, you are naturally going to have far fewer mentions in the online sphere than Microsoft in any given topic. So it is pointless just saying in a report when you're looking at your social listening, oh, when it comes to this niche cybersecurity topic, we have 58 mentions and Microsoft have 300,000. That's not entirely good of it. But if you can... Look at your different little niche topics in the market that you could potentially be mentioned for. And you can create an index where you figure out what's your average amount of contribution to that conversation versus Microsoft versus all your other competitors. Mm. If you know that in topic one, your business is going to get like 2% of the mentions. Mm. That's your average. But in topic two, you've got 10% of the mentions. That's a big deal. That means you are over-indexing in that topic. You're doing very well in that topic. People are talking about you for some reason. And then that gives you a reason to deep dive. And then the next thing we did was put it through a sentiment tracker. Are you being mentioned more than average in that topic for a good reason Mm. or a bad reason? And what we 
were able to do is figure out that this client we were looking at it for had actually had a cybersecurity issue with a very specific product and a very specific topic. And that was being spoken about and they needed to fix it kind of thing. So mm. if you can set that up, you can figure out things like where are your competitors actually investing their time? Because you can see where they're over-indexing as well. And if you're looking at a set of competitors, you can figure out where are they all missing a trick a little bit? Because actually mm. it's not that competitive in that conversation space. And so you can lean in more heavily there with the content that you create. That is a very long-winded explanation. Hopefully it makes sense because I can get a little bit it completely makes sense. Like, me. It, it's also like a reminder that social listening shouldn't just be a tool of the the big companies, the corps and things like that. There's there's always someone talking about a topic that you're in. There's always someone who's talking around that cluster. I did some work with um, a client of mine recently as well. They they have very limited share of voice in, in what they're doing. They're a corp. They are a corp brand. They sell to corporates, but they're not huge outside of their their very niche space. So when you look at the social listening, you look at that overall pie and you go, everyone says that things are lovely, um, really positive sentiment, a, a, an okay amount of mentions. What was really interesting in it that they didn't pay attention to was their positioning because their core and they were like, oh, next year we're going to go to mid-market and to small business. All of the conversation was about them being like, oh, this is a really good tool for corp teams, corp teams, corp teams. I'm like, that's a huge but all good because it means you're relevant to your current audience it's also a problem because mm. that means your messaging your positioning at the moment when you go into market to this new segment isn't suitable because you're seen as a big a big player in this particular space so yeah there's huge huge insight in, in picking those up i'm gonna have to pick your brain about some tools and things like that later on because i'm fun like that shit Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> an audience of two, we can delve right yeah. into. <laughs> we'll have a little pint in the corner of the pub and talk about social listening tools. Mark, I'm going to hand this next one on to you because this was this was your brainchild. This next question. When we were with, we were thinking about this, we were talking about voice of the customer, and um, one of the things that kind of immediately struck me was in creating this. You know, was there a particular need that you were responding to? You know, were were you kind of, whatever the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid, practicing mm -hmm. what, you, what you preached? What was the thought process, I guess, behind this piece of research? Yeah, I'm really glad you sent me this question in advance, by the way, because uh, it's the one that feels most like an inquisition. <laughs> um, yes, there was a reason. I sort of alluded to it before, but it's that MarTech noise yep. in the market. And we wanted to understand how we could actually be helpful to clients rather than just add to it, add to the clutter. And like, we can be more damaging as an agency in that space because we can just recommend tools for mm. each project we want to work on because that's the easiest thing for us. But actually we need to figure out where are our clients struggling with tools that they have already invested in that they can get more value out of. And then if we can anticipate those issues by having like surveyed the market, the more useful starting position for us, but also as a sort of department within a bigger business that's going to start creating content off the back of this report gives us a big steer on what's actually going to be useful to people when we, because we're going to be very much about guides, practical tools and tips, that kind of thing. So this was kind of crucial to get to that space. Um, and the whole MarTech noise thing, pre-AI, like people were already feeling a bit despondent about their marketing stack before GPT everything kicked in. So 
Now, I, you know, I dread to think what it's like to be an actual marketer who's, who's being told from all directions they've got to start using these other tools as well. So like hitting like one of the key principles of good content some help your audience. Um, I'm going to use that as a segue to steal the question now as, as well, Matt. So it's steal away. There's game, a new format. Like, it's kind of game show. Steal. So, Go ahead. I mean, off, off the back of this research, if there was one piece of advice for reading it, your audience, what would that be? Um, so I fully understand that Rocky is a content feedback loop tool, <laughs> but it is genuinely one of the biggest tips I would give to people is create that feedback loop on your content um, so that you can realize whether it's actually helping or not, because those stats do not always give the full picture. And it's so easy to just carry on creating, carry on creating without having the full view of whether it is useful or not, or whether people have just been so bored to death by your content. They've seen there's a good time to go and empty the dishwasher and the dwell time's really high. You like, you don't know. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to cheat as well, because I have a second tip that came to mind, which is, um, content promotion and more promotion and then more promotion for the thing that you've actually created because in b2b i think we can be i mean small businesses always better at this sort of stuff because they have to be more hot on it Mm. but there's a lot of room for actually having a content promotion process that sits after the bit where you've published your ebook and say right great now what are we going to do to get it out there in the world sometimes it feels a little bit like we create a content factory line but we have no sales and distribution department. So all of that content we're churning out off the factory line just sits in a big pile just outside the factory door. And then whoever happens to wander past can come and pick them up. But other than that, it's not going anywhere. I, I think a lot of the time, this is usually such a torturous process to get there. Like people think we've made it, we've got it over the line. And then it's, we see it all the time. Then you don't do anything with it. It's, it it becomes an afterthought though doesn't it it's like i've made the thing it's out there and then it's like a week later i'm like okay i need to get planning the the next ebook urgently because some someone in sales said that they need it and it's like this is absolute madness you can continually use this piece of content again and again different channels different formats have people talk about it on video podcasts on you know whatever get the message out there and Find out if it actually resonated, if it actually worked before you go and make the next thing. I think what happens is people, that it's almost the, the creators get bored before anybody's had a chance to notice. So it's yeah. like, again, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of your audience. They haven't seen it yet. Mm. So make sure they do. And like, even if you are, you've lived it for however long, like they haven't, you've got to keep hammering it until they get to see it. I, um, I read a book on brand once, I can't remember which one it is, but they said a similar thing about your brand, you know, founders, small businesses, they go through this process where they've been telling the same story for two, three years. So they assume the market must be sick to death of it. But the truth is in that three year point where you can't stand it anymore, they've probably just heard it for yeah. the first time in many cases. And it's exactly the same thing with the, the content you've meant to create in three weeks, but it got held up internally and it took 11 weeks and then another team came in and they wanted to give their opinion on what the visuals should look like. So it took another four weeks after that. Like, like you say, by the time you get there, the last thing you want to do is sit promoting it, but actually that is the prime time because no one's seen it yet. So um, Stu, amazing. Thank you so much. 
So now it's time for Matt's Bangers. This is the section of the show where we showcase a piece of content that we absolutely love. And Stu, this week it's over to you. What have you got for us? What is what is going to be your banger? So I've got an oldie but goodie for this one. Uh, it is my go-to resource, firstly for myself, but now for when other people say they'd like to know more about brand, which happens all the time, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> um, it is Marty Neumeyer's, and I hope I'm saying that name right, book called The Brand Gap. And it is an excellent resource about what a brand actually is and how you actually build one. But the thing is, the whole book is designed a bit like a, a PowerPoint, but not one of those really dull PowerPoints with too much text on the slide, like a presenter's PowerPoint. There's one key point on each page with a really well done visual, and you can read the whole thing in about an hour. And it's just, it's very considerate of its audience, if that makes sense. Yes. It communicates very clearly. And at no point in that entire hour do you want to put that down. So for me, that's a, that's a great piece of content. Great. So for every banger, there must be the sausage of death, an incredibly dull or unhelpful piece of content. Um, and that's our uplifting way of finishing the session every month. Uh, I awarded one awfully dull or poorly written piece of content, the SOD titled. So, Stu, have you got an SOD or sausage of death for us today? I do. I do. It's not one sausage of death. Many. It's a, wow. it's a, it's a movement it's like, like a, of like deathly butchers, sausages. If you butchers, like, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's like a Halloween special of your local butcher. Um, <laughs> explainer videos and articles on how to use chat GPT. Um, that's enough. Collectively, we now have hundreds of thousands of these. You can consider the buyer question well and truly answered. Um, in fact, where's the, where's the camera? This is a public appeal. We do not need any more chat GPT content. Um, when they bring something new out, feel free, but can we nominate someone to do that, please? We're all doing it. Um, I've made the mistake of doing it. I sincerely regret it. It's, it's becoming a, a matter of personal dignity and public nuisance, and we need to stop. Good. That is an excellent example. It's like telling people how to use Google again. Like yeah. If, no, yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. So just, just think really hard. <laughs> That's my hard. guide. I've written a guide. <laughs> just think really hard before you decide that you too want to be a GPT bro, you know? And, and don't get me wrong. We're sat in a brew dog in a central London station. Yes. Half of the people in this pub will be GPT bros. They've all got their own YouTube channel. I'm sure of it, but enough is enough. It's, there's a legion of prompt engineers out there at the moment <laughs> who are furious at what you've just said. Oh, I was going to ask you, you guys you had a question, a... actually. Oh, okay. um, I noticed in your, your handy little prep document that you gave me. Very, very well, well prepped. Notice that the guest is well prepped and ready to go. Yes. All of the... <laughs> Well, the humor-related stuff is well done in advance. Um, you called it a the sausage of death. You called it a Dodens Pulsar. Yes. Um, I was wondering how long it took you guys to find a term related to both sausages and poor content. Was that days of research or months? I think it was pure serendipity. Actually, it was just like interesting idioms from other languages. It came out as Dodens Pulsar was a Danish phrase for something that was really boring. Um, remember any of the others off the top of my head? Should have given me advance notice. I could have, could have bored you with other foreign idioms. 
steps that we should adopt. Okay. Maybe that's a whole other episode. A good next season. Yeah. Our next, ne- a new podcast called You're an Idiom. <laughs> yes, I'm looking, forward, looking forward to producing that one. Right, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. And hopefully for, for those of you listening, our inane ramblings have all been interesting and insightful. Um, but I, I genuinely cannot thank you enough, Stu, for coming in. Um, give us an insight into this report and, and everything that's going on with MOI. Can you tell us a little bit more about when that's coming out, where people can find it, uh, and all the good stuff like that? Yes, I can. Uh, the report will be out in the next couple of weeks. It should be noted that that is an agency couple of weeks. So also, if anyone listening happens to order a client <laughs> project in that time, it will, of course, be delayed. Um, that's that's how we manage yeah, our own things. Absolutely. Um, but that's part of the course. When it does come out, it will be on moi-global.com. The dash is very important. You must enter the dash. I don't know where you'll go if you don't enter the dash. I assume it will be a self-interested French travel vlogger, perhaps. <laughs> Um, so and more like dash global travelers global. Well. I love that yeah okay that's awesome so let's wrap this season up and uh, this particular sausage up let's get it packed and let's get it onto the shelves uh, so hopefully in a future season we'll be continuing to dissect what truly great content looks like with a number of guest experts like Stu if you wanted to get in touch we'd love to hear your contributions to Matt's bangers or conversely the dreaded sausage of death uh, you can do so by messaging our Twitter handle, Rocky underscore IO, visiting rocky.io, our website, or finding us on LinkedIn. Until then, that is all from season one of The Sausage Factory. Thank you so much to Stu. Thank you so much for Mark as well, for all of your co-hosting and awesomeness, supporting us all the way through. And thank you for listening. And do not forget to give us your feedback. <laughs>